Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Filmmakers Podcast is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Subscribe for regular bonus content and special episodes. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up. In our very, very humble opinion, I'm Giles Alderson, I'm a writer, director, and I'm a producer, and I'm delighted to welcome onto the show today the fantastic Kate Dolan. Now, Kate, if you don't know, uh, is the director of the fantastic You Are Not My Mother, which is out now she graduated from the national film school in 2012 and then directed many commercials and music videos and then was selected by berlinale talents in 2014 where she wrote and directed the short film little doll and that film premiered at berlinale in 2016. kate's next short film which was funded by screen island was called cat calls and it premiered at many of the leading international film festivals including bfi's london film festival fantastic fest fantasia festival and it won best short at the young director awards in ireland in 2018 kate was then chosen to take part in the guiding lights uk's leading mentoring scheme for filmmakers and in 2019 was listed as one of ireland's leading emerging creatives under 30 and now kate's debut feature film you are not my mother is available now it is definitely all about the journey don't expect feature films to fall in your lap you have to work hard you have to develop skills and you have to find the right team her film you are not my mother is creepy it's unsettling it's a psychological thriller uh, deeply rooted in irish folklore it debuted at the toronto international film festival to great Acclaim. And then it played at Fright Fest in 2022. The film stars Carolyn Bracken, Paul Reed, and Hazel Doop. We played the trailer in the episode, but do seek it out. Do watch this film. It's a debut movie and it is stunning. We dive deep into that. We talk about what's it feel like to have the movie coming out now and putting together the crew of people at the same stage in their career as she is. We talk about films that inspired her doing different jobs, how she started out as an art director and how she learned from others on set. And we talk about what it's like working with kids and how to give clear directions. We talk about her short film Cat Calls, how it got her an agent, how it worked as a calling card for her, or did it? We talk about the writing process and why building a relationship with your actors and crew is hugely 
important. That is all coming up for you on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it does mean the world to me that you're listening in your thousands every week and you give so much amazing feedback. Please give more. We want to learn. We want to grow. It's only episode 274, for God's sake. We want to learn more. What more do you want from us? What more do you want to learn? Tell us. Reach out to us at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter. Our Instagram is going really well as well. The Filmmakers Podcast. Reach out to us. Tell us what you want. Ask us questions. We're here to help you. It's fascinating. We've done 274 episodes. It seems so quick. It's like, oh, another one's out. And maybe you feel that too. Maybe there's too many and it's hard for you to catch up. But I suppose what I'm getting at by that is that time goes past so quickly and it can disappear. The time of you wanted to make a film. It's another week now. What have you done since last week's episode with Peter Pock and his amazing film X, which is out now in cinemas, by the way. It's incredible. How incredible was Peter? Uh, Kate is just as amazing as well. But look, time's just gone. Whole week. What about the week before with Sonia O'Hara? That's two weeks. What have you done to get your film made in that time? Because it's another wasted week if you are not doing something about it. Getting your film made. You know, if you're just starting out in this industry, or if you've made two films, three films, four films, doesn't matter. You might have wasted this week because you're sitting back on your laurels because you're thinking, oh, they should come to me now. No one comes to you. You've got to push hard. I'm saying this to myself as well, and I do push hard, but you've still got to do it. You've still got to believe in yourself and get people interested in your film. Why should they make it? Why should they spend all their time and effort making your film? You've got to convince them. And by doing that, you've got to reach out. So be brave. Make it count. Get on set. Learn. Reach out. Make shit happen. Make your damn film so thank you so (laughs) no i'm just sometimes it just needs to be said right it's great you listen to this it's fabulous but i love it so much when people reach out and say hey i've now just gone and gone made my film because i listened to some episodes and it inspired me to do it do the same email me and say hey i've just done this the filmmakers podcast at gmail.com link to that and to everything else is in the show notes join the tribe that's how you grow that's how we grow so some shout outs for people who've been amazing online in the last couple of weeks Isabel Pratt, uh, she brought some of our merch and she's been wearing it everywhere. She's fantastic. Uh, if you haven't seen our merch, go to our website, filmmakerspodcast.com. Check out some t-shirts, some jumpers, some hoodies. They say choose film on it. It's cool. Uh, there's some other designs on there, mugs, whatever else you need. Actually, if you want something else, let us know. We'll design it and put it up. Other shout outs go to Mark Hampton, Rob Hagens, Rob Warsey. He let us know he sold this film among the living. He will be on this podcast very soon when it is released and he'll be telling you all about how we made that. And a huge shout-out goes to Lee Hutchings, who was our latest Patreon subscriber. We're getting so many more of you. I think the episode with myself and Phil as a special we put out on Friday. If you like that, we're doing more of that. So come join us on the Patreon. Link to that is in the show notes. So much bonus content coming your way. Right, enough of me wittering on and trying to inspire you in some way. Here's Kate Dolan to do even more. If you don't want to go out at the end of this episode, inspired to write your script, to reach out to someone, to be brave, then I don't know what will. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast with the rather delectable Kate Dolan. Hello. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Excellent. You know, your debut movie, You Are Not My Mother, is out. How does it feel? Yeah, it's kind of surreal, isn't it? It's like, because we made the film for like next to nothing and shot in COVID and loads of people working on the film, including myself, who hadn't really done feature films before. So 
you know, it's just like kind of mad to, to have this, like a, such a great response. Like we've got great reviews and then it seems to be going down well. So it's just like kind of bizarre. <laughs> it's bizarre, but like, it's a really weird feeling, right? Because it's, oh God, my film's coming out amazing. But then also that worry, isn't there, that is shit everyone's gonna see it <laughs> i know yeah it's weird it's like um i think i i store sort of like relaxed when we got like um we got a couple of good reviews when it got released in the u.s recently yeah and then we got like certified fresh and rotten tomatoes and i was like Woo-hoo! okay i was like okay now i, c- I feel like there's enough people that like it that even if some people don't like it, I can, I am not going to worry too much about that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Because yeah. it's, it's that thing where you then start looking at reviews and, and it kills you. It's really weird. It doesn't matter how many great ones you get. You always look at the ones that aren't great and they're the ones that really seem to dig in and hurt. And, oh man. So fuck those guys. <laughs> 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 yeah i know it's funny it's like because well because you know it's when you when you make a film for like this little budget and like you know with not much like you know, so many creative compromises you had to make along mm. the way like we couldn't afford a steady cam tracks we couldn't afford anything like that or like a drone anything so like you know yeah if you see a bad review and they're like yeah it seems really restrained the way mm, it's filmed or something yeah. like that and you're like yeah because i literally couldn't <laughs> afford anything it's so it's true funny. but yeah, yeah no one seems to care about that you know they, mm. they put it in exactly the same league as as the marvel movies or whatever yeah. and that's the thing people sort of don't realize when you're making indies they go but, but bear in mind we made it for nothing or we made it with my friend's garden or we made it for whatever grand yeah. people don't care and that's a shame because <laughs> you go no no but please do <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, it's yeah. Rough. you said you mentioned there that you made it with a lot of sort of i suppose inexperienced crew if you like or people who hadn't necessarily made features before had you worked with a lot of your crew before had you uh, sort of with your shorts and stuff like that or were they all kind of you all just got bundled together and gone oh gosh let's see if we can make this work Yes, yeah, some people I'd worked with before. Nari and the DOP, we'd worked on a couple of commercials. The editor of the film is my best friend for since we were in college. John Cutler. Yeah, yeah. John Cutler. Yeah, he's a uh, my one of my best friends. So he, like, we used to just watch horror movies together all the time. So he That's had edited cool. my short Cat Call. So it was yes. nice to get to work with him. But yeah, then there was like a lot of people I hadn't worked with before. Like the production designer, who was her, it was her first feature film she ever did. She was only 23. Wow. Um, yeah, which is insane. That's Lauren, Lauren Kelly as well, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Lauren, yeah. yeah she's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so talented. Like, oh my God. I, when I was 23, I didn't know what I was doing. She was there like... <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't put anything together. Lego, yeah. nothing like that, where she's yeah. like putting full sets off. So, <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, but then you had like the composer D Hexen. Um, I hadn't worked with her before. I just thought that she'd be great for the film, and and it was such a joy to kind of. There were so many relationships mm. got to form that like with people that I hadn't worked with before, but they hadn't really done features before. But it was kind of like coming up together. So now we have this lovely relationship where it's like, you know, we all just feel really proud of the film because you know I think it was everyone's kind of baby in a way because people felt very passionately about it because it was you know it was a lot of people's first big thing that they'd done so it's really nice in that way yeah it must be that I, I i love collaborating especially with people you've just found or just met and you know when you click and you're all on the same page and it works really well let's come back to you're not my mother let's talk about 
your journey to get there a little bit first because sure, yeah. something a lot of indie filmmakers want to know is how you make the leap from short films or how you make the leap from brand media or adverts or telly to making a feature film uh, and you've done it and you've smashed it out of the park with you or not my mother you know it's great release you're getting great reviews and that's really really lovely to hear but people want to know how you do it it's not like you just tick a box oh you've got to do that and do it but I suppose people want to know your journey um, so yeah it'd be really interesting for you to talk us through were you always interested in film as a kid was that your was vibe were you, was there any films that really stood out for you yeah I I think it was always something that was a big passion of mine. Like I think I was raised by my mum and and we lived with my granny for a while and they both were big cinephiles. Like they loved films and and my granny had like a real encyclopedic knowledge of like old Hollywood and and we watched a lot of kind of classic movies together like Rebecca or Gone with the Wind Mm. or Night of the Hunter, like stuff like that. She was like really into kind of the you know, brilliant films of her era. So that was a great education. And then my my mom, she was really just into films as well. So she would be renting kind of the like great movies of the like the nineties when I was growing up, like kind of, you know, um all those kind of thrillers and and, and fun stuff. So I think, you know, it was a great education altogether. And then I think I just got the bug and I started getting Empire magazine and then I was just kind of like reading yeah. all about different, you know, sets and seeing behind the scenes photos and I was all really kind of like alluring. And yeah, then I just yeah, I kind of I got just took to it. I think it was it was something that I just got in my head that I wanted to do. And then I went to film school when I left school, which was kind of the big film school in Ireland, which is one of the, when I graduated from school anyway, it was kind of one of the only places you could go to do film as a degree. So I did that. And then, yeah, it's just kind of from there. So then I, yeah, I am, um, I worked in an ad agency for a while as an intern. I edited videos for people as Nixers for a while. I worked in the art department as a trainee on yeah. commercials and feature films. And so I've kind of done like many, many different jobs over the years. I think, you know, it's definitely not a straightforward path to kind of like you do a short and then people like it and then you get to do your feature. I think like I did lots of odd jobs for lots of different kind of people. And I think that really helped in kind of making contacts and, and, you know, getting to know people, getting to work on sets, seeing other directors working and how that Mm -hmm. works. So I think, you know, it was, it was a winding road, but, uh, eventually got here yeah so I did a I did a a Screen Ireland funded short called Cat Calls which was quite it did quite well at the kind of genre film festivals and and that was funded by Screen Ireland so that had a kind of a good budget behind it as a short and then Screen Ireland knew me from that so then it was kind of they did we did You're Not My Mother to like they fully financed that on this kind of POV scheme which is kind of like eye features in the UK I suppose Uh, it's like for first time filmmakers so yeah it was kind of um, just getting to know those people and kind of you know a lot of it I feel like is fortuitous timing just having the right ideas at the right times to show the right people do you know what I mean it's kind of can be difficult do you know what I mean sometimes it is just things like that that come along like the POV scheme that we made You Are Not My Mother on I had just finished the festival run of Cat Calls and then Screen Ireland were like, we're doing this scheme for first time feature writer directors. We feel like you'd be good, it'd be good timing for you. And I was like, okay, I have an idea that could be done on this micro budget. Let's, let's Mm. put it in for the application. So I think, you know, stuff like that, it just, like I heard about the scheme and three weeks later the application had to be in. So it was like kind of 
okay, we're doing this kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That that is good timing. Yeah, that's like we yeah. think this might be good timing for. Yes, this is perfect timing for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the the shorts just before that then, because you'd made a few shorts, uh, but like you said, you you'd done art directing on other people's films or projects, uh, but yet you always did. You always that hanker was I want to direct, but you saw other people direct. Is that kind of where you went? No, no, I'm going to push through to make some shorts, or was that part of your training, if you like? I always had it in my head. I was like, I always wrote stuff and I was, was writing and mm. I always wanted to direct. And, you know, when I first left the ad agency I worked at, I made a short film called Little Doll because I, I was at Berlin Alley Talents with a short film script called Little Doll that then I developed there. And then we made it for like 3000 euro on an Indiegogo Kickstarter kind of campaign. And then that film got into Berlin Alley. So it was like kind of put in that time while I was making that film because we made it for nothing. So I needed to work because I had left my job in that agency. So I was like, what can I do? I can do, I can edit videos. I can work art department because I kind of had done a bit of that in college, like training and, and stuff like that. So I just then, yeah, started throwing my hat into like work on a lot of commercials as, you know, art department to standby props on stuff and and training on some bigger mm -hmm. stuff as well. So it was like, it, it was just kind of a necessity to work and I had done it before and I knew some people who would give me the work to do. Um, but then it was like also a really great lesson because you know there was some even on a commercial like this like they obviously have massive budgets and sometimes lots of interesting toys to play with and that kind of stuff and like just seeing directors do some of the things they did on those like really taught me you know yeah how to kind of do some of those bigger set pieces and that kind of stuff and how they put things together and technically how to do things, how those directors work with actors. I know, obviously, when you're art department, you're usually running around like a headless chicken trying to get the next set done. But uh, <laughs> yeah, sadly, sometimes you do get to be on set when they're actually filming. And, and it was kind of invaluable to see all that. And then also be working on my own stuff to want to write and direct too. That, that fascinating time when you're on other people's sets. And like you say, you can be running around like a headless chicken on, you know, when you're art directing especially when it's getting there quick this isn't right running you you sometimes don't get to see but you then you do get to see you really do get to witness what's actually happening on a set how the lighting is set up how long that takes how mm -hmm. the relationship is with the director and dp how they work with the actors when they bring them in the timing of everything you know the yeah. first ad moving around so as you as art director or if it's standby props you see so much so it must have been a really great um, breeding ground for you. I think that's a really great way in for directors to see things and go, okay, I'm watching, watching and learning from what other people do. When you first start to work with actors, you know, with Little Doll and other shorts like that, how did you find that? So obviously working with DPs, I imagine you were brilliant with and work, how was it working with actors for you the sort of first time that happened? Yeah, I think, you know, it was interesting because the first couple of shorts I did were actually had kids in them so there was no really not that many adults in the um in the films at all so little doll was kind of all um girls between mm -hmm. i'm gonna say eight and ten i love working with kids like in and whenever i get to work with kids i really enjoy it because i think they're so um they just don't mince their words so like if, if they're like if you explain something to them and you're like this is what we're gonna do and they're like i don't know what you mean 
Uh, and you're just like, oh, okay, I need to explain that better to you. And I think that um, actually is a good education as a director. So I think sometimes adult actors well won't always tell you when they don't understand something that you say. <laughs> yes, you're so, so right. Yeah, so yeah. I think like kids are great in that way because they kind of gave me an education of like, oh, maybe sometimes you need to explain things in a way that is more understandable to somebody that hasn't got that image in their mind. Mm. Um, so that was a, a good one. Yeah, I like that. Being clear. It's so true. As soon as you work with kids, they'll literally go, what do you mean? And like, it's not, you, adults are kind of, sometimes they don't want to feel stupid or yeah. question the director. So they'll go, okay, cool. Going, I have no idea what, really what that was. You think you knew what they meant and they might have gone and taken something away. But a kid will just go, what are you talking about? Yeah. In my first feature, <laughs> I shot in Bulgaria. So I was working with a lot of Bulgarian crew and I realised how unclear I was very quickly when you <laughs> wanted a yellow shirt or whatever. You had to literally explain what, yeah, you can't go, yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a yellowy, you, no, 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 it's been clear. And I think that served me so much moving forward. I'm still learning, of course. But And I think working with kids, exactly that. They'll question you. They'll go, what do you mean? And you, shit, what do I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I now need to really quantify what I'm talking about. And that must yeah. be, like you say, what a great learning curve to them when you're working with adults to go, okay, I'll be as clear as I was. Maybe not so much, but just... yeah. Adults, they need it just as clear too, especially actors when it's all going through their head and they're in the moment and they're going, well, no, what, what, what do you want from it? What, what, what do you mean? Why, why am I changing this? What's going on? So that's great. What else did you learn on Little Doll then? And, and obviously moving into Cat Calls as well that prepared you for making You Are Not My Mother? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Little Doll was kind of, an, you know, again, that was something that we made for literally 3000 euros yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know we did again that was like a thing where we didn't have very much it was shot very much with friends with uh, you know we shot in the producer's house we shot mm. you know all this kind of stuff so we didn't have a lot to work with so it was uh, you know I've always I think you know cuz that's my kind of background that like little doll and then also music videos that I've directed a lot of the time there's no money so you're just kind of like trying to work with what you have. So I think that element was very helpful for you and my mother because I I wasn't coming in as somebody who was like, what do you mean we can't have tracks? Because I was like, oh, I've rarely ever had anything fancy on my yeah, set. Just a camera. Yeah, yeah. so I, like, I know how to use it in a way that I can get what I need with it. Do you know what I mean? So yes. that was kind of helpful. Um, but then Cat Calls was a, quite a big budget for a short. So that was like 40,000 euro. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was like properly big budget because uh, it was on the Screen Ireland scheme called Focus Shorts, which is to make, kind of allow you to make a short with a proper budget. How, how did that happen? Because that's really interesting. It was basically that. So Little Doll, it played at Berlin Alley in 2016. And then I, you know, I think we were the only Irish film at Berlin Alley that year. So Screen Ireland are always at Berlin Alley, like in attendance to have their booth and stuff. So I think a few mm. people were like, oh, did you see this Irish short that is here? And I think they didn't know who I was before that. Then this was kind of like their first introduction was like, oh, this young filmmaker made a film with no money and it's at Berlin Alley. We should kind of see who this person is. Yeah, should pay attention. Don't <laughs> <Yeah. right. laughs> So that was, a, you know, really, you know, that was a great step for me. And then I think it was the following year in 2017 that they had a, that I knew there was a focus short. Actually, it was probably at the end of 2016, maybe. But it was like, we, we I knew the focus short scheme was coming up. And, you know, in college, they had really turned us off horror. 
but I still really wanted to do horror. It was something that was like my, you know, a genre that I love very much and I watch probably the most of any other genre. So Little Doll was a drama film, which was kind of made to be that kind of like to hopefully get into one of those prestige festivals to get attention. So I like, you know, that was my intention with it was that hopefully it would garner some attention at a festival like that, which it it did work out in the end. But it was like, then I was like, okay, now I feel like I need to make my horror film that I've been wanting to make. <laughs> so I had this like idea that I thought would work. And it was, it was quite a tight idea that it was around like 10 minutes. And that was the focus short time limit that was like, had to be something quite, you know, couldn't be kind of overlong. The scripts had to be 10 pages. So I had this idea. They knew me from Berlin Alley. So we went mm-hmm. in with the application. And, you know, I think just because this was like the short that I think I was ever like most excited about. And I think that just really showed then when we went in for the interview and the pitch to them, I think they just saw that it was something that I really wanted to do. And I was really excited about. And mm. and they had knew I did Little Doll. So, yeah, I think it just kind of it worked out well at the time. It was just like I had they hadn't just knew I existed recently. And then they were like, <laughs> oh, she's really passionate about this weird horror idea. They did not do a lot of horror. So I was a little bit worried about that. But I think they had just shifted and changed. They had changed a few project managers in there. And there was a kind of a new a new group that were kind of more into genre and stuff like that. So I was just mm-hmm. lucky in that way as well that they were interested in it. So then, yeah, then Cat Calls we got the funding for, which um, we shot that in 2017, I think. Yeah, it was brilliant because that was like you had actually money to do things <laughs> with. Do things, right? Not just a camera. You're actually, yeah, 40 grand's a nice amount for short, but it can disappear quite quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly it goes quick. Yeah. yeah, you think you've got, and then suddenly you've got a big crew and everyone needs paying, etc. you know, and suddenly it changes. To, yeah, you're like, oh, actually we haven't. And that steady cam shot I wanted, you can only have it for one day. What? We've got 40 grand. Um, yeah. well, how did you plan it then? Because obviously now... Like say before with your first short, you were, or one of your first shorts, you were kind of you and a camera. Now you're going, oh, I can play. Well, how did you go? Oh, I want to think outside the box here and with certain camera moves. What's your process in trying to think why I want to use a camera move or why I want to use dolly or why I want to use steady cam? Do you have an idea there early on? Yeah, you know, I think I'm not the kind of filmmaker that like has an urge to use fancy equipment or do things just for the gimmick of doing the shot or -hmm. the trick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like for me, it always has to serve what you're trying to do. And I think with cat calls, what I wanted to do was just prove that I could scare people and make something that was frightening um, Mm -hmm. as a short film. So, you know, me and the editor who's, who edited my feature film as well, me and him, we watched lots of horror movies and, I took out, I, you know, I would take scenes from horror movies and break them down and how they kind of, how jump scares work and how they kind of, they put them together and some of my favorite films, what kind of worked and what didn't. And I think, so it was all just kind of serving that purpose. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't ever kind of, you know, the steady cam following your man around the house when he's like walking around and it's quite tense and you're waiting for something to kind of jump out at him. That was just all built to be frightening and it wasn't kind of like to try and do anything too crazy so we yeah we just kind of yeah let it serve it in that way yeah no it's it's really important to to think like that and it's really nice that you were already going right okay let me watch other films and connect that to what i'm doing and sit there with your dp or editor and i think that's great and that really does make a big difference uh and like you say then moving on straight away from cat calls which again did 
I, I imagine did really well for you and obviously got like ridiculously well by the looks of things. Um, <laughs> was it you pushing it for the festivals? Obviously you had, you know, a big team behind you and a, a budget at this point, but were you the one who was saying, no, I'd like to go to this festival? Or were they planning the sort of how the release of uh, Cat Calls would work for you as a short? Oh yeah, Cat Calls was all me. It was like, um, because unfortunately the producer, she was a great producer of Cat Calls, but she shortly after Cat Calls decided she just didn't want to work in film anymore. Um, oh, timing. I know, yeah. Oh. I know, it wasn't because of the film, hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she kind of left the project. So I was kind of left to my own devices in terms of what I wanted to do with the festival thing. So any festival um, submissions I did myself and I paid for myself and, and wow. you know, uh, so I kind of engineered the festival run for Cat Calls because I knew the big genre festival. So we got into Fantasia, which is in Montreal, which is a mm -hmm. big horror festival, um, which is July. So that would have been July 2018, probably. That was a real gateway into everything else because once it had played at Fantasia, all the other genre festivals saw that it was you know it was in a popular section called born of woman at fantasia so that was like a very well attended um section mm -hmm. of the festival for shorts anyway so it was actually kind of surreal so it was like they played up fantasia which was like our first big festival in a good few months i kind of mm -hmm. thought the film wasn't going to go anywhere because we played at like the cork film festival in november 2017 and then there was literally months where we didn't get into any other festivals. Right. Like even even small Irish festivals didn't really want the film. And I was like, God, is this film terrible? Like, what's going on? You start to question. Yeah, you start. Yeah. Why is no one taking it? Right. Yes. It's weird. I know. It was kind of uh, disheartening. So I was worried. Mm. And then we got into Fantasia, Born of Woman. And I was so excited. Then I was I didn't get to attend because I, I think I was working on something else, like a commercial or something like that. So I. I couldn't go and then I got I started getting emails the next day after the screening from like US managers and stuff that were like we want to represent you and I started getting emails from like random producers in like America and Hollywood and studios and stuff being like we loved your short and like wow. I was like I was honestly like the first few I was like okay I'm being pranked this is some sort <laughs> yeah. of elaborate prank um <laughs> So it was like that festival was really like amazing for me and, and for the film as well. And then all the other genre festivals like, you know, Fantastic Fest, Sitches, some of the kind of next tier ones like Fright Fest and, and you know, Morbido in Mexico mm. and like all those kind of ones like they all picked up the film then after that and, and they played at all those ones and, and it had a great festival life at the genre festivals then um, that year. And then, yeah, I got a manager, I got an agent off the back of that. and That's brilliant. Yeah, it was just kind of like surreal. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah. just like this little 10 minute film that I made is like now gotten me all these things, which is quite, quite bizarre. But um, so that was a great, that was a great, yeah, Cat Calls was great for me. And I think I have a very, I have a, a, a real love of Cat Calls because I feel like it just did so much for me. And I think, um, you know, it's still, it's a, it's still a fun little short as well. It's on YouTube for anyone who wants to watch it. <laughs> cool. We'll put a link to that in the show yeah. notes. Uh, yeah, definitely watch it. It's so much fun. I think, I think that's what, and it's telling about your filmmaking as well, is that you really do think about the genre and, and the audience it feels that way anyway about what you want to make and you've got your voice on it and that must have been really important with sort of going into you are not 
my mother. Did you really, again, sticking in the same genre, you were like, look, I want to make my horror feature. And Cat Calls is the perfect calling card for that. Was that an easier sell when you were trying to get your feature off the ground to say, look, Cat Calls has done really well. Look, I can do this as a feature. Did you find some resistance to the fact that, hey, you've only made a short uh, and okay, it did well, but can you really do a feature? Or was the, or was it the other side where people go, no, no, we, we want to give you the chance? Well, yeah, it was an interesting one because like You Are Not My Mother, the scheme that that was on, that was kind of like Screen Ireland really wanted me to do that, I think, in a way. Like they were, right. they, they knew that I was just the right kind of level to do that scheme to get to this ne- next level of doing the feature. So screen on Screen Ireland side, and that, you know, that kind of the producers who wanted to make You Are Not My Mother within this scheme in, with Screen Ireland, they were all very much like, we 100% know you can do this. Like, we're very happy for you to do this. But I think, right. you know, before that scheme popped up, so there was a time between when Cat Calls was kind of out and did the festival run and I was waiting and, and kind of, you know, I went to LA even to do like a week of meetings um, at mm-hmm. the start of 2019. And, you know, I think there is a resistance to like how you have one short and people are still hesitant to kind of like trust you with a bigger budget and Mm -hmm. and trust you with something bigger. I did even a couple of interviews for like some TV directing jobs. And then those were kind of like, we love you and we think you're great, but like, we don't know that you can do something long form. So unfortunately we're going to have to say no. So like there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And that's what's so frustrating about filmmakers when they've made a brilliant short and they're like, look, this is my calling card. And which everyone says is your calling card. Go make a great short, be a calling card. And then it's a calling card, but it's a card. Uh, So yeah, that must've been insanely frustrating for you to do that. And they're all going, we love you, but. Yeah, I think you you kind of, I'm always uh, the kind of person who I never get, why, maybe I'm just like very skeptical, <laughs> very, like <laughs> cynical kind of person. So like even like doing the meetings when I was in LA and stuff, you kind of go like, well, I know this isn't really going to amount to anything. I think it's to like not get my hopes. So maybe it's like a defense mechanism, but I think you kind of know that it's more for them to get a sense of you and meet you and get to know you. And then I think then they feel like, you know, it, it is it is really frustrating though, I think as a filmmaker, like with anything you're trying to get into, like, you know, I've even seen people with commercials and it's like, well, we you've done music videos, but can you do a commercial? And it's like, mm, how, yeah. is, how is that any different? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like they're very similar kind of formats of how to do something. And like, I think people can be, until you've proven, like, I think in commercial world, it's like the funniest kind though. Cause like people will literally be like, well, have you filmed a queue before in a commercial that you've done? And <laughs> yeah. you're like, no, but I think I, I think I've got it. I've been in a queue a few times. So I kind of, <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think I, I had been in commercials and done a bit of commercial work. So I think commercials really set you up for just that kind of mentality yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The mentality so it's, it's like it. it's really funny um but you kind of just get used to it but then yeah i was really lucky then that kind of screen ireland had this thing and they were like we want you to make a feature so then i wasn't right. kind of like waiting around to hear back from kind of whoever it might be and and then you know I, I i knew i could just get that first feature done and then mm. that would be stand to me really well that i could just like then hopefully do something bigger because i knew the budget was going to be quite punishing but it was like but then i'll have this feature film that I've done and I've mm-hmm. made and it will be it will stand to me in a way that like the shorts maybe sometimes just aren't the same kind of thing you know this episode is brought to you by Etsy 
Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. With that and on that, how did it feel the difference between making sure and making the long form you're not my mother for you as a director what was the process in your mind what was the stamina you needed to to push on through and do you think when people say that you know hey you're a short filmmaker but hey until you've made a feature we don't think you can make a feature or a tv series do you think that holds up now you've done it i it's actually, you know, in a weird way, I found the feature to be almost less stressful mm -hmm. than like when you're doing a short or a music video or a commercial because you've got so little time to prepare when you're doing those more short form things. And like often you don't have a lot of time to actually shoot them or do them. Mm -hmm. And I found like one thing I loved on the feature was that you can, you know, when you start, obviously your first day is really nerve wracking and terrifying and you're like, absolutely you know breaking it that you're gonna totally mess it up but i think once you're like a week or two into the shoot it all feels like everyone knows each other you've got a real dialogue with everybody the actors the the heads department you're in a set that's dressed pretty much ready to go so you're not kind of rushing around to try and get things done you have time to actually get your shots and then you know as you're kind of working through the shoot we were ha giving the footage to the editor and he was putting up together selects and stuff like that so he, you know, was very um, helpful in like letting us know like what you might need if we, he was like, oh, you might need a couple of extra shots for this scene, just a cutaway of her hand or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or, do you know, so yes. then, and then we could go, okay, well, we can get that because we're going back to this room where we shot that scene. So, you know, I found that element of it really enjoyable because I was like, oh, we're going to actually have everything that we need to make mm -hmm. scenes, to, you know, the, yeah. to put everything together, which was, um, you know, which on a, on shorter stuff, you know, you're just like, well, if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. Didn't get it. I think that's great. And I think that is the attitude. It's true. You know, if you can make a great short, you can make a great feature. Of course you can. It's not a, an issue. And this whole thing around it, the stigma around it is, is, is disappointing. I get it because some, maybe some people can't, you know, jump from a short to a feature. It is difficult. But 
actually the mindset of someone who is making stuff all the time. It is just getting on with it. It's day to day. How did you think about your shots then? How did you think about how you're going to plan everything in terms of what was in your head? Because there's a lot of questions people ask you when you're making a film. How did you manage that? And what was your uh, process to stay in the moment and stay focused on the overall goal? Yeah, I think, you know, we did a lot of prep in terms of just like how we were going to shoot everything because... We knew we didn't have a lot to work with in terms of equipment or lighting packages or, mm-hmm. you know, even the spaces because we couldn't build sets. We had to use whatever, like, you know, exterior locations or interior locations. They were just what was there. And, and even though we had, like, a great production design team, like, we didn't always have everything in that department either. So it was like, you know, it was, it was uh, we kind of had to meticulously plan. So me and the DOP, we kind of photo storyboarded almost every scene, I'm going to say, roughly, mm-hmm. kind of with an idea of where things were going to be because we knew as well for the timing-wise of, like, the time of, like, how much we had to shoot scenes. Like, the first AD was really involved in that as well in prep, just kind of like, look, you're going to have roughly this many hours to shoot this scene. So we knew we couldn't be on the day kind of going like, oh, why don't we try over here? Or why don't we move this over here and give this a try? Because we just didn't have the kind of uh, luxury to do that. So Mm. we had almost every scene planned out. And then obviously with the actors, the shots often had a lot of wiggle room so that if the actors did want to move around or if they did want to kind of, you know, or at certain scenes like the dance scene, which happens in the middle of the film, that was very much like I went to the house with Carolyn. She showed me, we kind of, blocked out her dance Mm -hmm. and she showed me where she was going to want to be and then I would go okay that might be a bit hard for the camera to get to why don't you just stop here and then bring it back here and then we kind of choreographed that together I filmed it showed the DOP he he did 360 lighting that day so that like Mm. we weren't lighting for each shot we were just like had a lit room and that was it and then we just like shot it because you know a lot of the like we just didn't have the time to like do a whole new lighting setup in a scene sometimes. So we had to do things in a very pre-planned way in that way, just to make sure that we weren't going to run out of time or not be able to get all the shots we needed for a scene. So it was, uh, yeah, quite well planned in that way. And even the jump scare scenes, like the kind of, some of the jump scares or some of the kind of scary scenes, like I shot them with my girlfriend in my house on like my phone, sent them to the mm-hmm. editor. He would test them to see if they were kind of working as a scare, if the, if the tension was right. So we did a lot of pre-planning in that way. So that was kind of everything. When we got on set, we kind of knew exactly where the camera was going to be for each shot. And, you know, we had a Google Drive with everything in it. So everyone kind of knew, the production designer knew. So then when she was dressing a scene, she knew that like maybe this height of the room would never be seen. So she didn't necessarily need to look at that. And so, yeah, we just kind of did that very, uh, used as much prep as we could to just like get it really clear for everybody. I love that. It's so important, isn't it? Get it all in your head. So then on the day you can change it, manipulate and go, okay, that's what we wanted, but there's something better or the light's different now or the the actor does something slightly different. So you go, okay, you can manipulate, but as long as you're prepped, then you can do that. And it's, you know, it sounds like you massively were. Do you want to just give us a little pitch, a little small uh, rundown of what the film is about? uh, And then we can play the trailer. You're Not My Mother is uh, about a young girl named Char who lives with her mother and her grandmother. And then one day her mother goes missing after suffering silently kind of with mental health difficulties. So the family fear the worst when she disappears 
But she comes back a day later and then after she returns, her behaviour becomes increasingly strange and unusual and uh, Char begins to discover some family secrets which she never knew before. And it's set during the week of Halloween in North Dublin in Ireland. So it's a real Irish Halloween, the likes of which you might not have seen on screen before and very much draws from Irish folklore, mythology, and it's very scary, intense. <laughs> We're still trying to figure out what happened. When did you last hear from her? She left to bring her to school. Is everything okay? Has she gone missing before? Not in a long time. Ma'am? I heard about your mom. Is she all right? Hey. Doesn't feel right. I think we should go away. Just the two of us. Think you should take it easy at the moment? Mom, where did you go? I can't tell you. <gasps> Not yet. not your mother up there. If we don't do something, we'll never get her back. And then they'll try to take you. Dance with me, Shar. Ma'am, stop! Let's talk about the, the writing very quickly of it then, because, you know, going from writing shorts and coming up with ideas and putting them into a short format is really difficult, you know, to get the beginning, middle and end and get something that really works within a 10 minute around that mark area. How were you doing it? with the feature then for this, for You Are Not My Mother? How were you going, okay, well, this is my idea, which is great. How did you then structure that? into the right format to then, you know, end up with the this brilliant film. Yeah, it was, you know, the the script didn't change massively, I'm going to say, like structurally. Like we kind of hit all the points, like a lot of the scenes, like the opening never changed from the first draft that the, you know, grandmother brings the baby into the woods. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a few things that were in the DNA of the film from the very beginning. And then it just was kind of, you know, in the beginning it wasn't set during Halloween, but then the more I researched about kind of folklore and, and Halloween time or Samhain in Ireland was a time when it was believed like there was a real thin veil between the two worlds. So that was more kind of you know, tomfoolery could happen between the two worlds, I suppose. So, <laughs> you know, stuff like, and I, you know, I love Halloween. So I was like an excuse to put Halloween in a movie was... Uh, couldn't say no but yeah I think you know it was interesting like we had a great experience with the script writing because it was all within that scheme with Screen Ireland POV so we had a script editor assigned by them and 
and called Anna Seifert Speck and she's actually a UK-based script editor and she was really helpful and kind of really got to the core themes and what, what, what I was trying to say with everything and each scene then really tried to capture the theme that we were getting across as much as possible. So it was just like having every scene work for the film and work for the story and, and the characters. Just, yeah, she was a brilliant kind of guide in that way. And then, but then, you know, it's it's funny, like you get to a stage where, like I was researching, I had the script editor, it was all coming together. And I got, you have then all these kind of folkloric elements that I started to add in that, from the research I was doing and building in kind of the more mysticism of the whole thing but then you know we were in prep and then we were it was like March 2020 we we knew we weren't going to be able to shoot for a while because of COVID so we had an idea we were going to shoot in November 2020 Mm -hmm. but we got some of the crew involved early because they were you know they had nothing to do anyway there was no shoots happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so the first AD came on kind of early a a few months before we shot and he said okay so the script is 106 pages Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) and we're gonna have to shoot this in like 21 22 days so he was like I just feel like if you want to keep in big set pieces like at the end of the film there's a big Halloween bonfire which we had to build and it was actual Mm -hmm. fire and stuff like that and he was like if you want to do that you're going to have to trim some other things in other places so there was a moment where I had to kind of early a few months before we shot the film I did some work on the script where I brought it down from 106 pages to 96 pages Mm -hmm. it's quite a big chunk yeah Yeah. so there was like there was a lot more kind of explanation of things that are going on like a bit more world building in terms of the folkloric elements and those just got cut but actually it was really interesting because when I look at the kind of the older script we have now and the edit of the final film you kind of say like oh that stuff probably would have got cut out anyway do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like it probably would have been trimmed so it was almost like I I actually sent the script to the editor at that point too and and I was like what do you think about like this scene Mm -hmm. being cut out or this stuff being cut out or you know, just cutting dialogue that wasn't necessary or like just elements like some bits that felt like they were just kind of adding to a scene that maybe just it was better said with less words and and you know we just kind of went through that process the producer as well went through it as well we just kind of went through the script over and over again just looking for ways to tighten it up so then when we went to shoot like basically everything in the script you see in the final film like there's not really much fat that was trimmed in the actual edit then because I did that a lot of that process when we were in the prep process as well that's brilliant and so important and i love that you said that and i love that you sent it to your you know your editor beforehand and that you're you know the first is going look let's trim this i think that's really clever because a lot of people don't they go into it and go no my script's perfect and who cares it's two hours long yeah yeah the distributors will care they're gonna (laughs) cut they won't buy it you know and that's so important to get the length right especially for a horror it's really important so well done for doing that i imagine you've already written other projects that you're going to do next is that what you took forward to in your next you know when you're writing your next thinking about the structure and gone through this now as a director of a feature film and done the whole edit and delivery process. Did you think about that uh, moving forward with your next one? Definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, especially with horror, like sometimes you get these great ideas for set pieces and like you write them and you're like, Oh, this is brilliant. It's so scary. (laughs) It's like so fun. Uh, Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like really enjoyable to like write those kind of scenes. But then, yeah, I think it, it, I have one script that I'm kind of work. I just did some revisions on recently and a lot of the revisions were kind of going, OK, this is a cool 
image or a scene or like, you know, I feel like this is great, but why don't I just like take this out of this script because it's not really bringing the action forward in this. And I'll, I'll save that and I'll put it in a film again some other time. <laughs> I'll like find a way to like get some sort of that imagery into a, another film another time. So I think it's, a, yeah, it's not necessarily like you don't feel like you're kind of killing your darlings. You're just like, okay, that idea is interesting. But mm -hmm. it's not helping this film tell a story. So I'll save that for another in the future. And it will probably come up in some other way somewhere else. And you can kind of, that's a good way to like negotiate with yourself to be like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not gone forever. It might be in another film another time. So yeah. 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 That's brilliant. It's so <laughs> important. And um, what have you learned from direct? Any tips uh, from the directing side then for our listeners that you've go, okay, that worked for me or that didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I think just like, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a tip or like a trick or anything. I think just like having everything prepped so much as much as you can so that you, especially if you're kind of working within time or budget limitations that are going to like be very difficult to work around and um, mm -hmm. just make sure that you kind of, you have a clear decision about everything that is going to happen. <laughs> because I think, you know, as you, you know, yourself, like as a director, like you, you get asked a hundred questions a day mm -hmm. and people are like, well, what color should this sock be? And you're like, uh, I need to know the answer to that because yes. I'm the only one who can say, yeah, of course they have to be blue because that is the only color they can be. Um, <laughs> so you just, yeah, you just, I think just being clear with people and not kind of time is of the essence. I think a lot of the time. So your decisions just, you, you need to make decisions and, you know, sometimes you'll look back and you'll be like, Oh, I wish I had, done that differently but do you know what if you had kind of hummed and hawed and waited it would have just cost you time and you would have mm. you know you wouldn't be able to get all your coverage for the scene or whatever so you I think you kind of have to compromise with yourself in that way just to kind of say look I'm making this decision that's what we're doing that's what we're shooting hopefully it will work out and just like <laughs> you know <laughs> and just kind of try to stick to your guns because yeah if you kind of waste time on set thinking about things it just it never ends well and then yeah I think with actors maybe just I think one thing I really learned is just that I started a dialogue with all my actors really early so I would talk to them a lot and that was something that on shorts or you know music videos commercials you don't really get to do because, you know, it's kind of like almost the first time, you know, you meet them on a commercial. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, like it's kind of like on the day you're shooting. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think just getting to like build that relationship. So I just call them to talk to them, ask them about their life. They're like, what are they doing? What they like, send them stuff to read or look at or kind of mm -hmm. just open a dialogue so that then when we were on set, I feel like we, uh, with all the actors, we had a lovely relationship where, you know, they felt like they could be honest with me. So if they did feel like, I don't really feel like this is right, then we could talk about it in a way that like, nobody felt like they were kind of stepping on anyone's toes. And, and it, it was a really nice kind of open relationship where we could kind of just say like, oh yeah, no, I think this, or no, I see what you're doing here. Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, we could kind of talk it through in a very relaxed way so it wasn't like loaded or kind of stressful or anything like that so I think just mm. yeah building that relationship early with actors just to try and like make sure that then on set you feel very relaxed around them so you're not kind of tiptoeing or trying to be polite or do you know what I mean because I think it, you know to get performances that are authentic and genuine you need to kind of have that trust between each other to kind of go no mm -hmm. this is don't worry you could you can go there you can do this and like it's not gonna 
you can you, they need to trust you really so you kind of have to build that as early as possible i think yeah and the same with your dp as well the same relationship and on set tiny bit about that would be really interesting yeah i think you know with narian he's a really lovely person to work with because he's very he's very quiet kind of you know when in prep sometimes i was like early on in prep not like as we kind of got closer but er, he was one of the very first hod's we got involved in and i always was kind of like is he listening to me? Like, I don't know. Cause he like never really speaks that much. He's a very quiet person, very kind of shy, like to, you know, internal, like thinking about things all the time. So then, but then as we got closer, he did this beautiful like lookbook of images and then and you could like, see that he totally got it and he totally understood what I wanted to go for with the style. And, and then as we talked more back and forth and we started blocking out the scenes and photo storyboarding and, you could just tell that he kind of knew, you know, it felt like then like if, if he made a decision about a shot that like I couldn't make or like I wasn't sure, I knew that he would be an extension of what I wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it felt like it felt very, um, yeah, a lot of trust there too. So, you know, if, if you're kind of like, he's like, I think this will, this is, this is what we should do. I would be like, okay, yeah, I would think that will work. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, mm -hmm. it was great in that way that he, um, yeah, he's, he's a great person to work with, very talented as well, very very I, I can't believe kind of some of the stuff some of the images like he achieved with like how little we had <laughs> yeah i love that and it sounds brilliant it sounds exactly right you collaborated in the right ways you, you know it sounds brilliant you can see you can hear sometimes when people are talented it's a really weird thing but you know what i mean the way you talk the way you're discussing things you know well done and you're not my mother is out now link to that is in the show notes do go watch this ace film this has been so much fun kate thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me it was such a lovely chat very relaxed yeah yeah, yeah. really enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> brilliant remember you can go out there and make your film you can make your tv series you can make whatever you want to make you can make it happen do it believe in yourself and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you next tuesday as always thank Thank you so much for listening we really really appreciate it a massive shout out to kate dylan thank you so much thank you thanks that's amazing thanks pleasure awesome awesome, awesome.